it took me a long time to figure out how to find my spark again because I was always trying to go back to who I used to be or trying to find some compromise or balance between the physical capability that I used to have and the mental sharpness that I used to have and then what I'm experiencing now. And it came down to this moment when I realized Welcome to Finding Your Spark again. I am so glad to be here today with my guest. Avery Thatcher is the CEO and founder of the Truth About Burnout podcast and the Flow State membership. When she started her career as a registered nurse working in the ICU, she noticed that the majority of the reasons people found themselves in the ICU were because of illnesses and diseases that could be linked to chronic stress. She decided to get out of the reactive side of medicine and now helps highly sensitive, high achievers prevent burnout and reverse the negative health effects of stress. After experiencing a significant change of health and severe burnout in 2018, Avery had to learn to redefine her identity and grieve the loss of who she used to be. Now she shares her story openly to help others realize that they are not alone in their struggles and talk about the strategies that helped her to heal along the way. Avery, I am so glad you are here. Welcome. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I feel so connected to your story in that my uh, original sort of shift into what is happening in my body and my mind and my spirit, raising that awareness really came from a health story. So, uh, so that can be a real wake up call for people. And you saw it firsthand in the, in the worst case scenarios, didn't you? I did. And that's what really struck with me is that I was meeting all of these people and their families on the most vulnerable and terrible days of their lives. And I realized that even though I was good at helping people navigate that very challenging situation, I really wanted to keep people from experiencing that at all because we, everything is super important until you lose your health and then you realize just how important that was. And there's a lot of strategies that are being talked about that are really missing that key component that's really going to help people. And so that's what I really hope we can dig into a bit today. We overlook that in our lives, right? We think we can just go to work and come home and do whatever we did to our bodies all day long without thought, without awareness, and then expect the rest of our lives to be good, whether that was a good experience or not, and expect our bodies to recuperate in in really short time periods. Even if you're getting the eight hours of sleep, it's pretty short for all the damage that we do. Uh, and, and I think the national average is like six hours of sleep or something. I mean, you know, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, so I'd love to talk more about that. Absolutely, and I think even when we feel like we're doing the right things, we're maybe meditating for a bit every once in a while, and we're doing yoga, we're maybe journaling, we feel like we're doing all the right things but it's still very possible for us to burn out. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I was working full-time 12-hour shift work as an ICU nurse in a very uh, challenging work environment. And I was doing really well and everything was fine. And I was, you know, coming home after my night shifts and 
I would meditate and practice some yoga. We do some journaling and breathing. I would check in with my community. Everything was great. And then it was Christmas morning. I was coming off the night shift and the charge nurse, she looked me in the eye and she said, oh, you do not look well. Go home. I'll mark you down for sick for your shift later. Feel better. And I slept for 20 hours. And then I slept for 20 hours the next day and 20 hours the day after that. And it started this investigative journey of doctors and tests and a surgery and multiple procedures and very painful experiences and scary diagnoses getting it thrown out there. And about 18 months later, I was given the diagnosis of chronic illness and a permanent disability. And it meant that I would never go back to working as a registered nurse in a hospital. And it took me a long time to figure out how to find my spark again. Because I was always trying to go back to who I used to be or trying to find some compromise or balance between the physical capability that I used to have and the mental sharpness that I used to have and then what I'm experiencing now. And it came down to this moment when I realized that I had to let that person go because so much of my life changed literally overnight. There was no reconciling. There was no meeting in the middle. I had to let her go. And so I spent 37 years of my life as Heather. And then I made the decision to change my name, to give myself that fresh start. And after searching baby name blogs for a couple of days, Avery was the only name that jumped out at me. And once I made that decision to change my name to Avery, I felt at home in my body. I felt connected to purpose. I felt like I knew what I could do moving forward rather than feeling lost. And so I know that changing your name is not something that everybody might be interested in doing, but really slowing down to just understand, do you need to grieve the loss of what you were, who you were, and what you thought your life would look like in order for you to move forward and really connect with that spark again? Oh, you said so much. You said so much. It's so great. Um, so I'm going to talk about that first thing that you said I mean, that last thing that you said first, and that is the idea of labels and how we identify ourselves in our own labels. And I think that is absolutely common and true that we give ourselves labels and our name is something that we carry with us over and over and over again. So sometimes we redefine it, but sometimes it can be used to make us into that five-year-old and not in a good way, right? Not in that I'm having tapping into my inner child way. <laughs> and so, uh, so brilliant for you to say, I need to make a change. I am going to make it something that I have to admit to every single day. Something that the people around me have to admit to that I want to change. And that's really what we do when we change our names, right? Is we say to the people around us, in, in my viewpoint anyway, uh, hey, I'm different now and I want you to acknowledge that I'm different now and I don't know what that means, but I'm about to define it. And so let's do that, right? So I love that really, really brilliant move. Very, very smart to be able to let go of a past and begin a future. Um, <clears throat> also, just the way that you talked about um, letting her go letting her go so brilliant this uh way that when we want to change to be able to say to ourselves i am not 
everything that I was. I am different than where, wherever, whatever that is. And I am willing to create space in that. I'm willing to say, I am a soul that quite likely is eternal, <laughs> right? And that I can't be defined by a name. It can't be defined by a past. It can't be defined by a future. So I'm gonna be that person for a little while and use my language to create that separation so that I know how to manage all the different parts of me. Really smart, really, really smart. Um, and the third thing, I know I'm going on and on, but I just love it. I just love everything you said. And I know it will, all these things will take us in a direction that is uh, really helpful for people. Um, that looking back concept of, I, I look, I am not who I was. I am not as I was. I had all this energy and I had all this, whatever I had, and I was Superman who could go to the ICU and make it all happen. And then suddenly my body said, no, 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 no. We are finished with that. That activity is over. And that concept of being able to look back and say, but I'm not who I used to be. Therefore, I am less than who I used to be is the concept that we have in our society of aging. It's how we talk, oh yeah, well now you're in your 30s, now you're in your 40s, now you're in 50s, oh well that's the way it is, now you're 70, that's just the way it is, right? But this is not, this is not reality. <laughs> I would love for you to talk a little bit about that if you would. Absolutely, I love that you bring up the concept of aging. I think my view on aging has always been very open and so when I meet somebody that's struggling with the number that has been attached to however many times you've been around the sun it just doesn't resonate with me because I don't feel any different as a 38 year old woman than I did as a 25 year old woman it just feels like the days continue and so I think when you're living more in that moment of experiencing aging takes on a different view. Um, I also having a lot of health issues can really truly see aging as a privilege. And when I see people moving through the ICU, when I worked in a pediatric ICU, it just offers the most profound perspective. So I think if we can start to see how aging and experiencing aging can be a privilege, that can really shift the perspective in those things. And then also I think what you touched on was really like understanding that it's okay to like your worth is not defined by what you do, who you hang out with, what you spend your time on, how many times you check things off a list. This is some capitalist kind of mindset. And the truth is, is we live in a capitalist world. So we have to learn how to work with it, but it doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that's trying to get us to subscribe to and letting go of the identity of Heather, the ICU nurse, was really the main thing that was holding me back from actually accepting myself and the new diagnosis moving forward. So I think when we look at defining identity, we need to bring it down out of the action and more into the essence and looking at our values, looking at the kinds of fears that drive us, those are the important things that we actually need to attach to our identity. I, I would love to hear more about what you feel like the connection is 
between worth, self-worth and burnout, right? Because we kind of, it's a complicated relationship. Absolutely. Yes. And I think we were really just taught that our worth kind of requires us to work to the point that we burn out because we are valuable when we are providing for other people, but we need to really, I think it comes down to learning how to not take anything personally. And that means not taking anything personally, positive or negative. It's building up that self-awareness so that you can do a presentation at work and just totally kill it and knock it out of the park and know you did a great job. And someone will come up and say like, that was so good. And you can say, thank you. And internally you'll be like, I know. I didn't need you to tell me that because I knew that I killed it. However, there's one thing which I still want to work on and I know I can improve that. But in general, I know I did a good job. So it's really digging into that self-worth and self-awareness and also holding compassion for the parts of you that you wish were not there. That is one of the pieces that was a big change in my journey as well is initially when I was working with this diagnosis and the chronic illness, it's called myotic encephalomyelitis, which is a really big mouthful of letters, but I nicknamed her Emmy because in a sense, M-E, myotic encephalomyelitis. So it just gave me like a, a way to personify that experience. And so initially I was writing on my journal and usually a journal on the treadmill and so we just had this little desk set up. And so I was typing away and then I was realizing that I got very angry and I hadn't actually gotten angry. And so then I was getting really mad and typing really fast and letting all of this anger out in a really beautiful, healthy expression of it. And then all of a sudden the switch turned and I realized that this part of me did not deserve hate and anger and resentment. It deserved love and compassion. And when I had that little switch go off in my brain and I started to say like, you know what? You're a part of the Avery family now. You're welcome to be here. We welcome you in. We're going to care for you. We're going to work with you. We're going to show you that compassion and love. And once I shifted that mindset, then I was ugly crying and I couldn't even stand up. I was like off the treadmill in a puddle on the floor and like two years of grief just poured out of me because I finally accepted that. And so then now I don't see my worth tied to what I can create. I see my worth tied to how well I support myself and my ability to support others. Wow. There's a lot in that. I love that you're talking about accepting all the parts of you. I think a lot of times when people talk about positivity and then I talk about joy all the time, I talk about happiness. And when we talk about joy and happiness and positivity, uh, there's sort of a presumption that it's like, oh, all these other things are bad. So it's not good when I'm angry. Oh, that is that is naughty, right? And in fact, it is, you are not complete. You are not having a human experience. Um, and in a lot of ways, I, I find myself talking over and over again with people about how not only are those things good, 
but they are transitional. So we don't want to live there. We want to have the fullness of our experience. But when it comes time to go home at night on your little roadmap of emotions, you got to choose where you're going to go to and in what way you took something wonderful from all of that fullness of life, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't always have to be that we're taking something wonderful necessarily because sometimes life sucks and you're just wondering like what kind of ruthless dictator were you in another life that this is now your reincarnation of it. But really I, I choose to see emotions and I treat emotions as objective information. They're either sabotaging or serving because sometimes Emotions that we typically label as negative, like sadness or anger or jealousy, those are information for us. So when we can bring those things into the balance between sabotaging and serving, then we're able to really utilize the full human experience. So for example, if somebody's coming to me and you can see that they're jealous, we help them realize that they're jealous. I say like, so what does this show you that you need to work on? What does this show you that you now need to have a goal for? Because if you're jealous of what that other person is achieving, then it shows that you want to achieve something in that realm. So what is it? Let's flush that out. Let's create a plan. So then the jealousy is no longer sabotaging. It is now serving. So really learning how to work with your emotions on that objective plane can be really, really helpful. Nice. Nice. Really nice. Um, I, I like that you're talking about that. You may not have heard it because I... I talk about it on my podcasts um, and probably haven't in a little bit, but uh, I went through a period of change, extreme change, where uh, inside about uh, six months, my my whole world changed. My husband got diagnosed with something terrible and, and only a few months later, he was off into another world somewhere, something non-physical I don't know about. And, um, and my house sold and I didn't have anywhere else to go and like on and on and on. Right. And so there was this sort of giant period of change. Uh, and, and in fact, I had stopped working in order to help care for him and to hopefully help him to recover. And, uh, so I was like fully present, but I wasn't who I used to be. And I was kind of in the tube of change, you know? And it wasn't who I was going to be. And so uh, that sense of like, how do I, how do I know what this feeling means to me? How do I look at myself and say, oh, if I'm feeling this, then there's a reason. And I should think about that. And I should decide what do I want to do with that? Uh, that's a really practical way to look at that. So uh, that really ties into the concept of acceptance on a deep, deep level. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So when we look at acceptance, it really focuses more on the flow of life. Because when we accept something, it doesn't mean that we hold on like super tight and never let go. It means that we notice, accept, and let it flow. So if it needs to stay and it's still teaching something or moving through something for us, then absolutely it's something to pay attention to. But otherwise, sometimes we need to let it go. And so often burnout happens 
when we're hanging on to too many things, we've kind of created like a big wall in the middle of this river and everything is piling up and piling up and it's getting harder and harder to hold because we've taken on too much. And so part of acceptance is realizing what are your limitations? What are you able to do? What does that balance look like? How do you let the right amount of things flow through so that you're hanging on to the ones that really are in alignment with your mission and your purpose? Because when we're just trying to add more things on, like all of those stress management strategies, it's just really adding to the pressure behind this wall that we're trying to keep everything in. So I think really looking at acceptance as this objective view of what can I do? What can I do really well? What should I really allow somebody else to do for me? What do I need to ask for help? How do I need to learn? But really just having that fully objective self-view can be so, so helpful. Um, I, I love that you're talking about that in terms of like for me, what I hear in that is about being deliberate about what do I what life do I want to be living? Right? Because uh, we can be like, I want to be everything all the time. But we're not we're in human bodies. And so we came here to experience things from a specific vantage point. And whether that was, you know, you you some people believe you come here for that purpose. Other people don't. But it doesn't matter. We are here in these individualized bodies. So uh, we get this viewpoint that is different from anybody else on the entire planet. And uh, and when we do the thing that you were talking about, where we say, like, kind of accept my limitations, really, for me, becomes a choice of where I focus my energy. What am I contributing to? What have I decided to give my life force to? And that includes like, you know, in my household and in my work and in my, right, in my breathing, in my everyday moment. So, uh, so can we talk a little bit about how that contributes to the walk out of burnout? So when we're in this experience of burnout, that's where we feel completely exhausted from trying to manage all of the things that are coming at us. And it just feels like there's never enough of you to go around, that you are just barely keeping your head above the water. You are thinking and trying to hold everybody else up. And you just wish that you could turn the world off for two weeks and just sleep and never be bugged. And those are all really clear signs that you've moved through the three stages of chronic stress and you've really hit that burnout experience. And so then once we get there, the first thing that we have to do is we have to recover. We have to let our nervous system heal because in burnout, it actually is a really extreme experience of our stress response. So our stress response has been on and active for so long that our body cannot match the energy demand that it requires. Because when you think about it, our stress response is really built to help us get away from a dangerous animal running at us and either like climb a tree or bend it off. And that experience requires a lot of energy, requires a lot of adrenaline, requires a lot of food and a lot of extra things to help make sure that we're going well for this. And that means like we're breathing quicker and there's just a whole bunch of different things that our body's doing to compensate. 
but our body was really meant to have that quick experience and that stage of alarm and then turn off and go back to the way things were. But because society is the way that it is, because our lives have advanced to the places that we're at, that dream of stress is constant. So we really have to learn how to allow our body to recover from that overwhelm first. And then once we've done that, then it comes time to optimize. And this is where we need to look at the the habits, uh, mostly external, that are really contributing to burnout. So one of my best examples is just imagine that you're sitting in a boat and the boat is leaking and you've got this bucket and you're bailing yourself out and it's starting off really well. But then the river picks up a little bit and now you've got more water coming into your boat. So you have choices. You can either make your bucket better. So you can either make the bucket bigger by adding in stress management strategies, uh, adding in maybe a little bit of extra support somewhere, or you can bail yourself out faster. You can do all of these things more often. And that's going to help keep you level for a little while longer. But then, as especially with high achievers, we continue to take on more things. We're like, okay, like I'm balancing all of this. Give me something else. And so then it starts to fill up and starts to fill up, and then we continue to sink. And so then we're floating with our bucket in the middle of the water. So when we go into the optimized phase, after we've already healed some of the damage to our nervous system, that's where we can start to plug up some of those leaks. And this means that we're looking at where are spaces in our life that we can systemize? What are things that we can outsource? Like click and collect grocery shopping, for example. It's fun to go to a grocery store for some people. It is not for me. And if I can have somebody else do that for me for $3, great. Have at her. Please pick out the apples and bananas for me. And that saves me a ton of time. And then just looking at other ways that we can systemize using examples like that can really help. And then after we're finished optimizing, we've plugged all of the holes in the boat, then we need to really elevate our self-talk, elevate our clarity of purpose, and elevate our productivity. Because we're we're not really designed and meant to be couch potatoes. (laughs) We don't really get a lot of joy and fulfillment from that. We really get that joy and fulfillment and that legacy of purpose when we are working towards something. So really digging into that clarity and optimizing and elevating how you achieve these goals and how you create that ripple effect beyond your scope of influence, that's where all of us can really thrive. I love that you get to that thriving place and that there's a whole process in between. I feel like a lot of times people have this expectation that like okay so I'm burnt out my body is broken I don't know what's wrong with it and somebody should fix me it should take two weeks at a spa and then we're done then I just go back to my life the way it was and uh, I think it's gonna be fine and this process that you just described is so multifaceted that it's it's a such an important message i think that it's a physical experience it's a mental experience it's a logistical experience that we're having in our day-to-day living like that part hardly ever do we talk about that right uh, i just recently moved i live by myself now cuz my husband passed away and uh and he used to do everything basically (laughs) it feels like everything I have to say and so this process of like how do I logistically manage my life and what choices do I make that are different than I might have made in the past 
Um, and how do I, how do I be okay with my self-conception and making different choices? Because a lot of times those choices are based on uh, what we were taught as children, what we had modeled for us early in our lives, right? And so we go like, well, we're not those kind of people. We don't, we don't have that. We don't solve problems that way. And so this whole logistical piece of it, I think, really is tied to that self-conception and identity that that is sort of a larger way of looking at ourselves, right? It's a way we're not usually aware of in our day-to-day, um, but it 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 guides our judgments and our and our choices of every day and then getting to this place where you get to thrive right that's i think that's the thing that is so um full about your description i just wanted to touch on one thing that you had said earlier about uh when people just want to you know get their energy back and then back to the way that life was and so people often think about burnout as a cycle so it's this circle where you are working really well, everything is functioning, everything's great, and then your energy kind of crashes and burns, and then now you're at the bottom of that circle, and then you rest and figure it out enough to be able to get back up to the top, and then you just continue in that cycle. But the truth is, burnout's not a cycle, it's a wave. So we start up here in peak performance, and then we go into our crash, and then we recover a bit of energy, but nowhere near where we were before. And then we crash and then we recover a little bit more and then we crash and we continue down this sort of wavy mountain side and we never get back up to where we were because those habits and the stressors and everything contribute to burnout again and again. So even though we feel like, oh yeah, things are back the way they were, we're actually not fully up there. And the more and more that you have these burnout experiences, the more that will resonate with you because we'd be like, yeah. Like, I still don't feel like myself, even though I'm back to functioning. This is great. <laughs> I'm going to say that again, so we don't have to have me stuttering over myself because I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, this is great. Um, this imagery of the wave is really a good imagery for that exact um, process. And I think the way you describe it is so accurate to the way that I've seen it and I've experienced it, right? Is that that sensation of like, I think a lot of times we talk about this as aging, right? It's like, well, life is good, but it's not as good as it used to be, but you know, it just is good. And so, you know, then the next time something happens and then life is pretty good, you know, but it's not as good as it used to be, right? And so that uh, cyclical nature, that sort of wave, like not really ever getting back to where we were in terms of enjoying ourselves, in terms of the fullness of our lives, uh, it's so, so common. Um, what I would love to ask you about boredom. <laughs> and the reason I bring up boredom is that I think a lot of times, uh, the reason people push themselves, there are lots of reasons, don't get me wrong, but one of the reasons that people push themselves into a place where they are they are living beyond their physical limits right for long periods of time has to do with this sense that like i want to do something interesting fun impactful i want to make a difference right and so the, we're taught in you know, the only way to do that is to push yourself and then we're in this recovery period 
And there's always this, how do I, how do I get back to not having to take care of myself, right? How do I get to a place where I'm not bored in life? So how do you deal with that with your clients? It's such a great question. It's something I get asked a lot. So uh, there's this model. It's a bell curve. So it's like that mountain that comes up and down. And then there's bits and little markers as it moves through. And so it was originally developed in 1908 by Robert M. Yerkes and John Dillian Dotson. They are early stress researchers that came out after the Industrial Revolution sort of data was starting to really be analyzed. And it shows the relationship between productivity and pressure. So when we don't have enough pressure, then we're not productive. This is where we're completely bored. And we're just like, oh, I just wish like something exciting would happen. We're in a rut. Nothing's really going anywhere. But once we figure out how to really create those aligned plans and projects that brings us up to the top of the curve, which is our peak performance space. And so this is actually a different kind of stress. There's two different categories of stress. There's distress, which is what we typically attribute to stress. This is the yucky, well, I don't feel great kind of stress, overwhelm, those kinds of experiences. But this one in the peak performance space is called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. And this is where we're in that flow state where everything is like aligned and ticking and we're on it and we know what's going on and people are working and all this really flowing together. And that's where we feel the most alive. And so it's not that we need no stress in our lives. We need the right kind of stress in our lives. And so it's when we're in this eustress space that we start to take on too many things that are not in alignment with that grander purpose and legacy that we want to have. That's when we move down the other side of the curve, and that's where we end up moving through those chronic stages of stress that lead to burnout. So when we feel bored, my first suggestion for you is to figure out what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Now, when you think about legacy, the first place that people often go is like, well, do I need to have like a foundation? Do I need to make donations to something? Do I need to have some kind of thing to attribute my name to? But when you think about your legacy, I want you to think about it more in how you want people to feel. So, for example, my partner, when he and I were talking about this just after we got married, he was saying like, well, I don't even know what I want my legacy to be. Like, does that mean I have to start a business? And I was like, no. How... When people interact with you, how do you know that you left them better than when they came to you? And he said, well, when they feel safe to really talk about what's going on, when they feel safe to share their emotions and what's happening in their lives and know that this is a good place where we can work through whatever they need to work through. So I was like, great. You want people at the end of your life on your funeral to be saying, you know, Dustin was such a great listener. I always felt like I could talk to him and he had my back. Even when I needed to be challenged because what I was doing was not right. I always knew that he was there for me. That's the legacy that you could leave behind. Uh, there was somebody that I met uh, through my client's uh, community. And she, when we worked through her legacy, she realized that her legacy was to be a mother. And not just a mother to her children, but a mother to other children as well. That she was there to be the nurturing essence for 
people under the age of eight. That was who she was really meant to help serve. So really, when we look at legacy, it doesn't have to be some Nobel Prize stamp award. It can really just be how do you want to move through your life and how do you want to make people feel? That is so great. That is really great. You have unpacked so much of this for us today. I want to uh, just talk to you a little bit about letting people know how they can get in touch with you, what you've got going on and, and how they can work with you. So people can find me at my website, which is becomingavery.com. So that's becoming A-V-E-R-Y.com. You can also find me on Instagram. On Instagram, I regularly talk about burnout and coming to peace with your identity and redefining who you are. So if you're interested in learning any more tips and tricks around that, then definitely go follow me there. And then also on my website, I do have a number of free resources, including a burnout prevention guide and a self-sabotage quiz so you can figure out your main self-sabotage style and how to make it stop sabotaging you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I want to remind our listeners that they can go to RoadmapToMoreJoy.com to take their two-minute quiz that will let them know where they are on that emotional landscape and where they set up camp and how to get from where they are to where they'd like to be. And so I'd really just like to thank you finally as well, Avery. So great to have you here. 